Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl 
to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR-3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. In this episode, we get to get a little old school. Our next guest comes to us from back before the U.S. Coast Guard even had its rescue swimmer program. As a matter of fact, this guy, he was even involved in the beginning of how the Coast Guard got into the rescue swimmer program. It's a very cool story. So as we get to hear some of these old school stories from back in the day, please welcome United States Navy rescue swimmer, Mr. Bill Moss, a.k.a. Red Dog. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Today I've got with us, uh, I'm going to call you a little bit of old school, right? Because is that an insult? I, I just I gotta double check that. Old school? Yeah, old it's school. old school coming back right now. I like that. His name is Mr. Bill Moss, and he is a rescue swimmer from the Navy, aka Red Dog with a double G. What's up, Red? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you, brother? Man, I am fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I'm stoked to like talk about some of these cases that I've read and. I mean, you learned some stuff in the Navy and to make it more fun for everybody out there, like we're going to start back in the sixties and bring it all the way up to like 1983 before the Coast Guard rescue swimmer program ever even happened. That's how awesome this is. (laughs) I love it. Well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, So real quick, just because your nickname we call it uh, Mr. Red Dog with a double G. It's R-E-D-D-O-G-G. Just tell everybody how you got the double G because I love this story and, and I just, it's, it's better coming from you. So I, I was stationed in Taiwan for about five years. And while I was there, I was stationed in a little place called Detachment Tango, which is down island from Taipei, which is about... 15 sailors accompanied sea duty. It was the best duty in the world. And I happened to be right up the street from the Air Asia Company, which was at the time it was the Air America maintenance arm. So they were bringing airplanes. They bring C-47s in all the time from uh, like Kuala Lumpur and uh, Singapore, all the mag attachments all their maintenance was being done in Westpac by Air America. So we had a little bar, believe it or not, on the Navy compound. And uh, that bar was pretty much the center of everything as far as transients were concerned. So one day we were all standing in the bar and somebody hollered out, hey, Red Dog, you got a phone call in the front office. And I said, who was calling me in the front office? So I start out the door and this other guy starts out the door at the same time. And I said, 
are you Red Dog? He said, yes, I am. I said, how do you spell it? He said, well, R-E-D-D-O-G. Oh, okay. That must be called for you, sir, because I'm R-E-D-D-O-G-G with two G's. And that's how I got the two G's because I didn't want to be the Admiral. <laughs> Admiral Red Dog and then Red Dog. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, that's how know, that happened. It would have been great if you had taken that phone call. Yeah, this is Red Dog. Go ahead. Admiral, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> It's oh like the God. old guy. It's like the old guy that works at Walmart as a greeter, and he can't never be on time. And the boss calls him in and says, "Hey, how come you can't be on time? What did they call you when you were at work?" He says, "Want coffee, Admiral?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. All right, Red Dog. Well, I'll tell you what, if you could give us a little bit of background about you, a little bit of like where you're from and then how you got into the Navy and into search and rescue, especially as being a rescue swimmer, which I'm really curious about as far as what you guys did to do that kind of training. Yeah. Well, in 1963, I graduated from high school and uh, did a, worked a full summer at the airport. That's how I got my interest in aviation. That and the fact that my dad was teaching game warden out at Fort Gordon, Georgia. And he taught all the game warden guys when they went over the H1 avionics systems. So, <clears throat> and for anybody that knows, it's an N32 course. So that was what he was the head guy of. Anyway, so I went uh, night school for about three weeks at the University of South Carolina in Aiken. And I said, you know what? I don't need this. So I came back and <laughs> I told my dad, I said, I told my dad, I said, dad, you know, I need to join the Navy. He said, follow me. <laughs> Come on, he dad. Me, he took me down to the Navy recruiting office. And he said, I got one for you because daddy was a Pearl Harbor survivor. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. And, and he spent 10 years in the Navy. And uh, he, he said, I got one for you. And the recruiter looked up and said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a, a mech, an aviation machinist mate. He said, I can do that. Sign here. Are you a high school graduate? Yep. He said, sign here. So I signed. That was on Thursday, October 31st, 1963. And on November 1, I was standing tall at Great Lakes in the cold. That's how oh, quick that... I got out of town. <laughs> That's quick. So, so I, came, I came from there and I went to ADRA school. I was a recent mechanic. And my first duty assignment was uh, NAF Naha, Okinawa. 1960, June, July 7th, July 4th, 1964, I checked in. And then I went, you know, I did all of that and was, got involved in the uh, HU-16s. I was a Beechcraft plane captain first, and then I was a second mech on HU-16s or the SA-16s is what the, I think the Air Force calls them. I don't know what the Coasties call them. I think they call them 16s. Anyway, they're all gone now anyway. It's like me. They're all old. You know, <laughs> so, and I was what they call a second mech on the 
on the AQ-16s and then when they, they kind of had a collateral duty swimmer on board for any rescues. So if they had to launch a rescue with the seaplane, they would go out and they'd have a swimmer on board. And he would, if the pilot was incapacitated, couldn't get in the airplane, the swimmer would go in and pull him out, put him in the airplane. So I kind of started it all. Like I said, I went to D West in 1965 off Kadena, Okinawa with the 33rd Air Rescue Squadron. Hold on. I, I got to back up a second. Did you say like jump out of a seaplane to go get somebody? Yeah, but, but you're in the water. You're doing the seaplane side of it. And oh, then gotcha. you, taxi, okay. you water, water taxi up next to the pilot. And if he can't get in, then you just go in and get him and bring him out. And everybody lifts him in. He gets kind of rough handled for a while. All right. So I better make sure I got this right. You lay in the seaplane in the ocean. Air or like just water taxi. taxi. Up, water up taxi, to, right. Up to the pilot. If he's capacitated right. and he can get in, he'll just climb in the plane himself. Right. If he's not, you jump out of the seaplane. Swim yeah. over, pick him up, and then pull him into the seaplane, right. and then take off. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> what did I say? Old school, baby. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was back in the day. We don't do that anymore. No, so. no. I didn't even know you did that. That's how sick yeah. that is. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so rescue swimmer training. What what was it that you guys did back in the day for that? It, it, was it in Pensacola? Was that yeah, yeah, similar, I, similar school to what we have now? I left. I left Naha, and I went to P3s for a year and a half. Was deployed to Utapau, Thailand, and came back and went to HT8 at uh, Ellison Field, Florida. And this is in 1967. I had extended for two years for shore duty and Lyndon Baines Johnson managed to screw about six months of it away with my tour in Utapau because he wasn't going to let anybody get out of the squadrons that were preparing to deploy. So I, I was stuck and went to Utapau, but that's okay. I, I'd like to, that was good duty. And, and then, uh, <clears throat> Of course, that's also where I got exposed to Agent Orange. So, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, I got I came back when I said HTA. Just a little I, side note, got exposed to Agent Orange <laughs> one and I'm waiting for the verdict right now, as a matter of fact. I'm waiting for the VA verdict right now. So come on, man. I Jesus, Mary and Joseph. So I went, I went to uh, HT8. Once I got to HT8, a guy named Bill Lee was the NATOPS guy there. And I had known him on Okinawa when he was in BU5. So he come down to the shop one day and he said, hey, he said, how come you ain't a swimmer? He said, I'm putting together a rescue swimmer class. You want to go? I said, sure, why not? So I went up and this is in the old days. I was working nights. So I would go at six in the morning and we would run and swim and do all of that rescue, you know, WSI stuff. And back in the day, that's basically what it was, WSI class. And uh, what does that cool, say for WSI? Uh, water safety instructor. Oh, okay. Easy. You know, all the breaks and holds and all of that, right? Yep. 
So, so I did, and I was already a senior lifesaver. So, I mean, I had most of it down and, and I had the fact that I had been to D West was, you know, it was, that made it easy to do. So I would get up and go at six o'clock and swim and run and all that. And I go home, take a little nap, and then I go back to work that night. That's old Navy. You know, it's collateral, collateral duty, you know? Yeah. So um, I did that. I did a, a month course. We did it for a month. Got to do the Dilbert Dunker. Nothing like the 95, but the Dilbert Dunker, you know, the one man thing that, We'd go down there and they'd push our class up in front of all the young guys, the new pilots and uh, new pilots. And we'd just go in there and knock them all out and get out and go get in our clothes and go home. And these guys would still be there that afternoon. You know what I mean? I mean, it was scared and you just never seen it. Anyway, uh, I did. I got my wings in 60, October 67. No. Yeah, October 67, maybe 68. I can't remember. Anyway, I'll have to go in there and get my card. I think it's August of 68. That's right. So I got my SAR swimmer wings in August of 68 and had did the Lex deck. The Lexington was the training ship down there then and was doing the Lex deck once, once or twice a month. But in HT8, because it was a training command, they would only fly days on the okay. ship. And then nights that one of the HS squadrons from Jack's or something would come over and fly the night SARS for, uh, for the Lex. But I was on one of the original SAR debts at the Lexington in 34s, H-34s. So then <clears throat> I said, well, I, I, I didn't like Pensacola. I, I didn't like, HT8. I didn't like the working hours. I had been in Utapau, Thailand, working 24 on, 24 off, and I come back to shore duty working 10 hours a day, six days a week on 96. We had 92 or 96 H34s. Oh, my goodness. That's I don't understand. I was, I was a maintenance man. You know, I yeah. was a crew leader. I was maintenance, turn up qualified, all of that. And I just got fed up with it. It was beating me up. Man, I said, I've been to Westpac for four years I come back here to the east coast and you guys making me work like a dog you know like an army mule you know I said I ain't doing it so I terminated my shore duty I called a detailer detailer said where do you want to go well when I was at Naha I had flown into Tainan several times I said well I want to go to Tainan Taiwan he said oh I got a billet bam just that easy and I went for 52 months I was there Holy smoke. 550 a day per diem, no chow hall, 15 <laughs> sailors and their wives and kids. I mean, we had a heck of a operation down there. You just you couldn't believe it. It was like, God, I died and went to heaven. So, and I had my second child was born in Taipei Hospital. So, I mean, it was like, it was like guys that went to Midway Island. You know, they went out to well, and they stayed out there forever till, yeah. till it threw them off. And that's how I was about Taiwan. Now I, I put in to extend for a fifth year there and the, the personnel chief at, at uh, Taipei 
says to me, well, you know, dog, if you extend again, you go over 10 and your career designated and we can't do a lot to help you as far as schools are concerned. And at that time I had been passed, not advanced, I'd PNA the ADR one test 11 times. What, what does or, that mean? I, Cause that's uh, the little ADR bit of is a, ADR is a reset mechanic. Okay. And I made E5 and I, I passed not advanced the E6 test 11 times, but sometimes by like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9. I mean, really right up there. Okay. Anyway, so I said, okay, well, I'm not going to make, I'm not, I'm not going to advance the way I want to unless I get out of this rate. So I changed my rate to ADJ and became a jet mech, went to B school at Memphis and ended up in that in VA-122, which is an attack squadron. Now the plot thickens. <laughs> so, <Like that. laughs> so I'm in, I'm in VA-122, which is shore duty, and it was the rag for the A-7s. And the guy says, uh, Red Dog, uh, you read Go on Debt? You know, I'd been in, moved into base housing the day before. So I had a 144 dish packs sitting in the living room. <laughs> and he says, you ready to go on debt? I said, yep. So I went on debt detachment to China Lake, I think. And anyway, that was my first detachment, VA-122, bombing, bombing detachment. Anyway, I left there, VA-122. I said, well... I want to go to VA 27. When I got ready to transfer, I want to go to VA 27. All my buddies went over to VA 27. So I wanted to go over there across the street. So they said, well, we, I called a detailer. Detailer said, I can't find your, I can't find you anywhere. He said, were you an 8215, which is a SAR crewman? And I yeah. said, yeah. He said, you better call that detailer. So I called the 8215 detailer and he said, oh yeah, I got you. He said, I'm sending you to Barking Sands. Holy crap. What? <laughs> I, I don't even know what that is, but Barking Sands does not sound fun. It's on Kauai. Oh. It's the best, one of the best duty stations in Hawaii. Oh, man. Well, I just ate that one. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, and it was, and it was, and it's so remote. You know, I had, a, I, I was the maintenance chief. I had seven H3s. And 135 sailors. Jeez, oh man, that's awesome. And we kept them up, dog. We kept them up all the time. I mean, we and a lot of mass chiefs out there that are retired right now, retired, you know, they I, I did their I did four retirement speeches in the last 10 years for mass chiefs that were retiring. And they were airmen when they worked for me, you know, E2s wow. and E3s. So we, but we had a hell of a crew. Anyway, so henceforth and two wit, I ended up going to Barkin Sands. And I had made first class. I was working on the chief, making chief. And damn if I didn't make chief first time up. <laughs> so I make chief in, in 77. Now, I've been in the Navy 14 years, so I'm pretty much tracking. Yep. So here I am. I make chief on the 16th and on the 17th of December, I get air medal. 
which is just so happened your very first rescue. Yeah, which is that was my very not my first rescue, but my very first rescue that meant anything. Okay, so very first rescue that meant anything. Oh, I love it. And you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna read that right now. Actually, let's back up. Do you remember your very first rescue? It was a kid that jumped off the Lexington. I swam up to him and I said, what are you doing? <laughs> My girlfriend left me and all that. I said, you're a dumb SOB. And I put the horse collar on him and took him up. I mean, I just, and that was my first, my first rescue prior to that. Oh my gosh. Well, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I guess he had lunch and then decided to do it, you know, and he was going to, I said, where are you swimming to mobile? <laughs> oh my gosh. The boy wasn't right. The boy wasn't right. <laughs> she jumped in the water and looked at me, you dumb. <laughs> He's trying to kill himself because his girlfriend wrote him. I said, man, you ain't bright. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to speak the obvious. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. come yeah. on. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? Oh, my God. That was my, that was my, actually my first rescue. That's and pretty then, funny. Uh, and then I had, uh, like I said, I had several where we did just stuff wasn't really a big deal and uh we went uh when i went to barking sands that that is a weapons recovery operation torpedoes and uh targets and stuff like the air targets and stuff like that so you don't really do any sars yeah but you're on call for the county okay and yeah. that's how i got that's how i got the air medal which uh, I'll tell you what, let me, let me read it. Cause I'm, I'm excited to get into this one. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Go. All right. Chief of Naval Operations. The president of the United States takes pleasure in presenting the air medal with bronze star for first award to chief aviation machinist mate, William E. Moss, United States Navy for service as set forth in the following citation. For heroic achievement in aerial flight on 17 December 1977, while assigned to Pacific Missile Range Facility, Hawaiian area. As first crewman aboard the UH-3A helicopter dispatched to effect a search and rescue mission along Nepali coast of Kauai, Chief Petty Officer Moss was charged with a responsibility for verbally control of the aircraft in flight and upon the sighting of the two missing hikers, the simultaneous verbal control of the rescue device. The acute angle of the cliff face on which the men were stranded prevented direct overhead hovering. Moreover, rotor wash and the air turbulence caused the rescue collar to be tossed about violently, further increasing the difficulties faced by the rescue team. Chief Petty Officer Moss was, in, was required to direct the pilot to a precarious position which placed the rotor blades within two feet of the cliff face and to devise a method of control for the rescue caller so a safe liftoff could be affected. His ability to verbally maneuver the aircraft into an, an advantageous position while ensuring the stabilization of the rescue apparatus was vital to the success of the mission. Chief Petty Officer Moss exhibited exacting teamwork techniques and airmanship 
and airmanship skill in this endeavor and his decisive, courageous action and selfless devotion to duty reflected greatly upon himself and with keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Red Dog, what? Rotor hit like rotor blades two feet away from a cliff, trying to maneuver an aircraft to get the strop down to him. That's crazy. Here's, here's, you know, this is the thing. I have two pilots up front that I absolutely trusted. No squeaks, no means, no mice. I mean, I trusted them. You know, I'd been on several missions with them. And I had a second crewman that was superb. So when we came on the site and we evaluated it, we were in a fishbowl kind of operation that had a stream running over, the stream ran over the top of where these guys were at. And I had to, Literally, we had to back the airplane into the hole and then take it right. I'm visualizing it right now. I love and then it. Take it right and then take it right. And now the first time we couldn't get the hook to quit flopping around. So what we did is we, I brought it back up and I had a, we had brought the search bag with us, which had blankets and water and stuff like that in a parachute bag. I, I hooked that on the, on the mail hook on the, on the main part of the uh, hoist and then dropped it over. Well, when it, it stabilized quite a bit and we had the horse collar and this bag on the hook and we had given them the, the survivors, we had given them a uh, brief, a visual brief on how to put the thing on in, from the door of the helicopter, you know? Yep. And as we back, we backed in, and then slid right. And as we slid right, I had, I just fed cable out and I was looking straight ahead because I basically was doing everything in my peripheral vision. And when I got, when I got to a point where I saw a red on the cable, which means you got about 10 feet left. Oh yeah. I looked, I looked down to see where it was in relationship to the survivors. When I look back up, we were up over the cliff face by about two feet and we're sucking water out of the, out of the stream. So I says, I, I said, you know, that was my stop call, you know, he's right, he's right, he's right, stop, you know, and, and the pilot, he just sat there stoned, man. He was like, bam, he was on it. And we held it there with, and when it started sucking water, that was when I would say stop. Cause I'd know how close we were. So, one of the guys, one of the guys had a stick. Now you got to imagine these guys that we didn't know it at the time. They'd been up there 52 hours. Oh my God. And, and, you know, Hawaii or no Hawaii, they were in a position where they got no sunshine for 52 hours and it rained. And when it rained, it washed out all the trail, except for this like seven foot they were on. And they're, so they're standing on a, on a, on a, a 14 inch or so foot or so wide piece of dirt coral or not coral but volcanic rock that's about seven foot long and they've been up there 52 hours hypothermia is becoming an effect wow. right yeah 
So the first guy reaches out with the stick, grabs the horse collar, and gets in it. I, as soon as he had it around him, I was up and left, up and left, and we broke out of the hole. This guy had a, he's 1,200 foot off the deck, man. He's getting a double E ride. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we get him in and he's cool. He gets in, he gets, sits down. We give him some water and whatever, you know, wrapped him in a blanket. The second guy, he does the same thing, except when we get the, when he gets in the horse collar backwards. I had, it wasn't, there was no time to retrain him. I said, up and left, up and left. And we, I called him out. Now he's holding on with the horse collar up backwards. On his chest. Just, yeah. All right. So let, let me, let me help everybody out with this real quick. So a horse collar or a quick strap or a strap device goes Strop. around the back. Yeah. And then comes up between the armpits and the V section is right in front of your face. So ideally you pin it down with your elbows, right? So you're sitting well, in right. a back position a little bit with your legs hanging down. It's kind of, it's a backbreaker, but it, it, you know, you're, you're upright. If it goes the other way, if the strap comes around your chest, you're now arms are leaning forward and you're, it almost chokes you to the point where it could knock you out because you can't breathe as you're getting hoisted. And now you're talking about being like, would you like how high were you? 1200 feet. <laughs> Red dog, come on. All right, sorry. I just, I, I gotta give people a, an idea. So I got the guy, <laughs> I got the guy. The guy's hanging on for dear life. And we, I, as the minute I said up, I hit the up button on the, on the uh, hoist and just started reeling him in. And we got up and away from the cliff and around. And as we're coming around, I look down and his eyes are big as saucers. I, I tell Tommy Brady, my second crewman, I said, Tom, I said, this guy's scared. You better get him. So I'm guiding the horse, I mean, guiding the cable. I get him up almost to the door. And the guy tries to help us by getting out of the horse collar. <gasps> oh, my God. Tommy Brady, Tommy Brady, as I'm bringing him up, Tommy Brady just jumped out and grabbed the guy on the gunner's <sighs> And I swung them both in and it's, it was so coordinated. It was almost like we practiced it. And he, he, I reached out, grabbed Tommy and pulled him in the cabin. And as I pulled him in, I just hit down on the hoist and everybody went in and fell back into the cabin. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. The minute, the minute, I, the minute he jumped out, I thought, I think this might be air metal time. <laughs> he was, he was, uh, it was, it was quite, we did an exciting 45 minutes, I'll tell you that. <laughs> wow. What? Ragdoll, yeah. that is crazy. Yeah, we did. That was that was part of it, man. We had another one up there where the guy the guy went in, crashed a helo, and I forget exactly why, but there was a fire. But they managed to kick the fire down off the cliff edge. So we went in to pick them up and it was an easy, it was like one single wheel, you know, single skid. You just set the wheel down, pull them in the airplane. But we didn't look down until the very last guy was getting ready to get on. He had a broken ankle. So my crewman was out there throwing him up in there. And all that wind from the H three lit that fire off on the mountain. <laughs> 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 We just threw the guy in and we get the hell out of here. <laughs> Oops. It was flames, forest fires, all that stuff. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> went back, went back and got the uh got the little bucket and brought a bucket load of water up. It was crazy. It was crazy. Or I mean, you, know, you see what had happened was uh our bad. All right. The guys were sorry about that, poor service guys. <laughs> well, that's right. That, that was that wasn't even a question, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was my exciting time at Barking Sands. Holy so I, had, I came back, I came back from Barking Sands in 80 and went to Fallon and got in the H1. One thing I never liked, one thing I never, I don't want to say liked to do, but one thing that I did that I always wanted to do was I never stayed in the same type. Same type I of switched. aircraft. Yeah. I yeah. switched, I switched uh airframes every time I transferred. So how many airframes have you flown on? Well, not counting the fixed wings, uh, four. That's beautiful. I started in 34s. I went to H3s. I went 30 H1s. I was in H1s at Air America. I flew the test flight, test flight program at Air America for a year for the military. And that was OV10s and uh, H1s. I did that for 71 to 72 or yeah, 71, 72. And then, um, cause I ran the ramp. I was a ramp boss. And then, uh, I was in H threes and then I went to 46s and then I went to back. I went to, well, I was in H ones at Aram. I went to H ones at Fallon. And then I went to H3s and then H46s and then back to H3s. Wow. So that's four airframes. And you've got some hours on those airframes too. I know that. I had 30. <laughs> yeah, I had I had 3,600 hours. Jeez, oh, man. 3,600 yeah, hours. That's a lot. That was a lot of vert rep time, a lot of SAR time, a lot of weapons recovery. I had 1,800 hours of weapons recovery. That's a lot of airtime, period. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. So it was fun. So now, you bail, now you bail out of Hawaii and you went to? Fallon. Fallon, Nevada. In 80, right. Yeah. Right. And while you were there. Went into H1s. And I, I, you, you got a pretty gnarly case out of that one. So if you got any before that, I'm, I'm happy to listen. <laughs> But if not, then I'm going to get right into this one. Go ahead. Yeah, buddy. I Come got on, a blank. I'm going to say a lot. <laughs> you know, they, they, I do call I, this the real rescue for a reason. Like, come on. I, I, I tell you, I tell you what I did do. And right. uh, before before the airmail, what we did do, we did a first, and that was we repelled search dogs. Oh, what? You guys started yeah. that? Yeah. That was. We didn't start it, but for the military, we, it was the first time the military ever did it. Uh, Navy at Fallon did it. Wow. Yeah. It was, uh, dog's name was Thunder, a big 125-pound German Shepherd. Great dog. I knew the handler. I, you know, we just had, and the day we did it, Real People, the TV show, just happened to be there. <laughs> See, you might have to show off a little. I'm just saying. Yeah, just yeah, saying. yeah, yeah. I had my silk scarf on. 
Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Blowing in the wind as you're walking to the aircraft. Aviator sunglasses on, leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, snap. I feel the need. I feel the need. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. But yeah, we had, we had, um, we did it for the fir first time Navy ever did it. We did it. And, and we developed the harness. Uh, my parachute rigger built the harness for it and all that. So, I mean, it was pretty. And then some guy in the civilian community cop copied our harness and, and he made a lot of money at it because they started doing it in sheriff's departments and all that, you know, but yeah. up until then, up until then, there were very few, mostly out of uh, Alpine County and Butte County in Northern California. They were the only two civilian operations that were doing search dogs. Wow. Because they had, they had what they called the Wolf Team, which was a team out of Alpine, and then they had the Paws Team or something like that out of Butte County. Wow. Right on. I yeah. did not know that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. So it when you fun. say rescue dogs, you're sending a full crew down and the dogs to, to go out yeah. and start here was the up? Here was the theory behind it, okay? Yep. The theory behind it was that we had A7s, A6s, all kinds of airplanes come across the Sierras at, at altitude. So if one of them got in trouble and they had to punch out and they punched out, well, you know, there's 15 foot of snow on the upper altitudes yeah. in the mountains. So you can't put a search team in that would be very effective. But these dogs could cover as much ground in 30 minutes as a search team could in all day. So we, we developed the repel method for the dogs just to do that. It was, it was a Navy oriented thing. And that was how that was all. That's how that all came about. Wow. Did it work? It was interesting. The dogs were cool. We did, we did several different dogs. Thunder was the first one. He was my boy. He, he was first time he, first time I was out on the skid and I'm ready to repel with him. And I just shoved him out the door and let gravity take charge. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the second time he was a little smarter. He wasn't going to come out. And I said, no, no, you're coming out. And so we had a discussion at the door as to who was going to do what to who for how long. <laughs> I, I, just you, shoved his, you I just shoved his ass out the door and jumped. Oh, my gosh. So, oh, that's and then also, also while we were at Fallon, while I was at Fallon, I wrote uh, the Chapter 5, the Inland Search and Rescue uh, Manual for uh, Navy the Navy OpNav 3710 or whatever it was, I wrote Jerry Ballison and I, who Jerry was my counterpart down at Lemoore. And see, Lemoore had the western side of the Sierras and we had the eastern side. Yep. So um, that was that we wrote that book. And that book is still in use. Yes, it is. And I, I know that because the Coast Guard adopted, uh, I don't know if they adopted the whole thing, but Another 37.10.4 is the rescue four, swimmer manual. Five. That's ours. Four or five. Five yeah. is the inland SAR manual. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> old Red Dog and Jerry Balderson wrote that. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Let, let's get into this, uh, this second air medal here, which, again, crazy. I, I'm, I'm stoked to hear this. So let's, let's let it ride. Let's go. The Go President ahead. of the United States takes great pleasure in presenting the Air Medal with Gold Star for the second award to 
William Earl Moss, Senior Chief Aviation Machinist Mate, United States Navy, for service for set forth the following. Citation, for heroic achievement in aerial flight while serving as crew chief on Naval Air Station Fallon Search and Rescue Forces on 3 March 1983. Senior Chief Petty Officer Moss was an in integral member of the rescue of an injured skier. Facing unpredictable winds, high altitudes, heavy snow flurries, and a lack of landmarks, he utilized his extensive experience and knowledge of search and rescue techniques and skills to aid the pilot in locating the lost skier. He provided the helicopter crew members with important hovering and mountain rescue information and contributed to seasoned leadership and calmness to the success of the extremely demanding mission. During the actual rescue, he exited the helicopter in a curious snow-covered ledge to assist the victim to, to the pickup point. Once on the ground, he maintained consistent radio communication with the crew and provided critical hovering information on wind direction and speed. His guidance enabled the pilot to make a safe approach to and maintain a hover at the ledge for the pickup. Senior Chief Petty Officer Moss, leadership, airmanship, courage, and devotion to duty reflected great credit upon himself and while keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Come on, Red Dog. You go from Hawaii to now, like, cold mountains. Dang, man. Sick. Yeah. We did. I did. I think Fallon was probably my most satisfying professional tour. I did probably a lot more up there than I did anywhere we're affiliated with the Navy because we were associated with the civilians so much up there. We supported 20 sheriff's departments in Northern California, wow. all the way up to the all the way up to the Oregon border. So and, who of all these places called this in? Well, the the system is such that the Wright Patterson Air Force Base has the uh, they issue a mission number, and I we we went around to all these counties, and we gave them our cards with the mission number with the phone number on it. And if you have if you want Fallon to come up and take care of you, do something for you, you just call Wright Pat and get a mission number. Once you get a mission number, all you got to do is call us. And then we we're gone because that means Uncle Sugar's gonna pay for it, not yeah, the sheriff. Buddy. Plus, it's great so, training. <laughs> so yeah, so so we we did we did a heck of a lot of work. I taught I taught twenty counties how to repel out of the helicopter, and then uh, you know I I just did a lot of work with them, and and like I said, personally and professionally, very very satisfying. I had. Uh, several incidents there you know of course there was a lot of uh we did a lot of body work yeah which not you're not supposed to do let me clarify that quickly <laughs> that that is that is a no-no you're not supposed to do it but if you happen to be in the sierras on a sierra trainer and accessible it's called a SAR of opportunity and you take full advantage of it. And you know, oh, do your job. She yeah, she didn't die till after we got there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So, but we did a, a heck of a lot of that. All right. So, wait, one, uh, but I got to get back to this case because this case is crazy. Like, you got an injured well, skier somewhere, and, and you're jumping was, out of the. There's the fa therein is the fallacy. He wasn't a skier. Oh, he was an ice climber. 
<laughs> oh, all so, right. It wasn't like he skied down the slope and broke his ankle. He, this guy fell a pretty good distance off a waterfall. Oh, no. That way. was iced. Yeah, that was iced. And, and he was up, he was 11 miles in, in, in to June Lake, from June Lake. So he was, uh, he was a hurting camper. And when we got to him, we, I, I sent five teams up there. As I said, my, my comment was when we first got the in, cause I took all the incomings as a SAR chief. I took all the phone calls. Okay. And when this came down, I was like, okay, I got a couple of chiefs out here that need to be senior chiefs and an air metal might do that. So <laughs> I, your voice I sent, I, I sent five, five crews up in five days and they all got weathered out. And, and I'm talking about bad weather. I mean, assassin snowflakes, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was terrible. So when I called one day that afternoon, after the, the fourth crew came back, my SAR boss, who happened to be Norm Hicks, who flew in uh, Towering Inferno and pretty much developed uh, the Inland SAR community for the Navy. Anyway, he, he calls me up. He was a SAR officer. He said, Red Dog, he said, tomorrow morning in your bag, six o'clock. Okay, boss. <laughs> so I went up. So we went up. And then we went in. We stopped at June Lake and we let the flight surgeon and the corpsman out. And we and the, and the co-pilot. And we put a guide. We had a guide that knew the area that this guy was in, knew the falls. Okay. And he he took us up into the falls, and we we're circling around, circling around. All of a sudden, I I looked down. There's this orange piece about maybe a foot across in the snow. I looked again. And said, Shit, that's a tent top. And that was the guy's tent. Well, coming out of the front of it was this crawl. You know, he he started crawling out. He had a half a day's worth of gorp left, which is trail mix. He had a half a day's worth of trail mix, and he got tired. It's what he told me afterwards. And he got tired of knocking the snow off the tent so he could breathe. Holy and he was up there five days. So we pulled, I, I just followed the trail. And what he'd done is he had duct taped skis to his uh to his legs and was using snowshoes on his hands and he was crawling out oh my i told him i said you know you know how how long it took for you to be dead he said i knew that but i'd be dead if i stayed in that tent too <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i took him up i i got out we single skidded the winds were awful and they were everywhere i mean they would be coming from the tail they'd be coming from the side and there was a lot of snow and so I told Norm, I said, look, just single skid me out. I'll take my snowshoes and hike down into the, into the valley there and get him up, you know, bring him up to the, to the ledge because there was no place to land. We couldn't even do a confined area. So, because there's trees everywhere. So I said, I said, that's what we'll do. Norm said, okay, we can do that. So they single skidded me off and I stomped around up there for a second. I was shit, this 
snows pretty it's hard, you know. And so I had my I had this I had a backpack on with a my snowshoes stuck out, you know. Yeah. And I started off down the hill and stepped into a snowdrift, went all the way over my head. <laughs> had to dig out. Had to dig out. Yeah. Talk about feeling the fool. Anyway. <laughs> so, so I dug out. I dug out, put the snowshoes on, hiked down the hill and got him and hiked him back up the hill cut all the crap off of him you know the the skis and stuff and i told him i said okay here's the deal i said they're going to bring that airplane in here and whatever you do don't touch anything and his first comment was are you going to bring my gear (laughs) i said yeah i mean these guys i understood their situation they had you know those rock rats got thousands of dollars worth of equipment you know yeah. So I said, look, I said, you got your gear. He had his gear on his, in a backpack, you know? So I said, yeah. He said, I'll just set it right there and we'll throw that in when, when we get you in. He said, okay. I said, well, here comes, here he comes. I said, the first thing you don't do is don't touch anything until I tell you to go. So he, sl- he, Norm brings it in, sets the skid right on the rock. And my, crew chief gene ponch he puts his hand out and when he put i'm standing there with my hand on this guy's shoulder getting ready to tell him when to go and he puts his hand out and the kid reached out and grabbed gene's hand and when he did that it grounded the airplane through me knocked me me square on my ass (laughs) oh my god my shoulder my shoulder hurt for two days that's like 7200 volts you know what i mean oh yeah man wow I slapped him. I said, man, I told you not to touch something. <laughs> anyway, he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, don't worry about it. Because that by now they've rolled away and we're coming back, you know. Well, now I tell I told Norm on the radio, I said, you just roll in here slow and easy. I'm going to throw him on board. So that's what we did. We just rolled in because the winds were getting so ridiculous that it was just hard to, hard to do anything up there. Yeah. So the snow's blowing, the wind's blowing. Just, Norm rolls in, Gene opens the side door, and I launch the guy into the airplane. <laughs> and I mean, they don't even slow down. He just, Norm just breaks away and goes right back around to pick, pick me and his gear up. So he came in, I threw the gear in, and then I, the third pass, I jumped in. But I'll tell you what, there was a point there with the third, between the first and the third pass that I'm looking, I'm trying to remember how much damn trail mix and where my survival tank uh, blanket and all that was in my backpack because i didn't know if they were going to make it to pick me up oh man it was it was it was bad man it was bad but we got them out you know what i mean got them out it was some good stuff red dog this is awesome so but that that you know that was one of the highlights of that there's some downside to the Fallon trip too. We, you know, bears eat people and yeah. crash airplanes and that kind of thing. You know, you do out there doing body recovery on the range. A seven noses in. You got to go around and pick up the pieces. You know, Oof, yeah. and you got to get them. You got to get them during the day before the coyotes get in there. You know. Oh yeah! Wow! wow I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. So. There was the worst one I had was uh, a two-year-old walk away. We had a baby 
uh, El Dorado County called us first thing, six o'clock in the morning. They called me at the house and they said, Red Dog, you got to get somebody up here. We got to walk away and we can't find her. And I said, okay. Well, by the time I got over to the office at 7.30, they had called, they called me again and said, okay, we found her, but it's a body. She got, she walked away from the camps. They were up there snowmobiling and snow caving. And this two-year-old walked away from the, you know, the campground. They couldn't find her. So they sent the El Dorado SAR guys in to find her. And so we flew up there and, and they walk out of the, walk out of the snow with this baby and hand her to me. Now I got to take this baby down to South Lake Tahoe Hospital. down to the helipad and give it to the ambulance people with the mom and the granddaddy and all that right there watching. And I, that was, and I had kids of my own, you know, so it was pretty emotional period. That was pretty emotional. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was shaky at best, but Hey, that's, that's what they paid you to do. So that's what you did. True statement. Yep. Everyone call all the time. Hey, this is what we got. Yep. Yep. So, Jeez, but that God. was a lot of fun. Now, let's move on. Yes, sir. I'm going, I'm going to Guam. Guam. Here we go. <laughs> H46 school in San Diego. Good fun. Uh, D West, Sears School. Guam. So I get out to Guam. They had H1s out there. And what this here, HC5 was standing up at Guam. Okay. So what he, what the detailer made a deal with me, I said, I'll, he said, the HC5 was supposed to go to QB. And they had all these guys from HC3 and all these Westpac guys wanting to sign on. You know, so oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they found out that they weren't going to QB, they were going to Guam, and everybody, a lot of them guys said, no, nah, I ain't going to Guam, no shit. So I get on the phone and I'm talking to the detailer out of Fallon. And I said, I said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to retire on my, after my next tour. I said, you send me to Guam. And he wanted to send me to the Tarawa, I think, or something. I said, I ain't going on no gator. I'm a senior chief. I ain't going on no gator and work 25 hours hours a day, eight days a week for some Marine, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So Bank I said, does have its privileges. I'm just going to throw it. Come yeah, on, yeah. Senior Chief. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, hey. He said, well, I've got to set orders out to Guam. I said, I'll take it. He said, you will? I said, yeah. He said, okay. So I got the orders to Guam. He said, here's the deal. I'm going to send you out there to end up in HC5 and 46s but prior to them getting there i'm going to cash you in the h1 locker over there omd operations maintenance they had two h1s out there and i went out there those h1s hadn't flown in a month nobody cared because they knew they were winding down you know yeah i went in there i went in there and fired them all up you know i just said hey we're going to fly airplanes and by God, we'll stay here and fix airplanes until they're running. And we spent a couple of 24 hour days in the hangar, but we got them all up ready to go. And then I couldn't find any pilots because all the pilots wanted to fly fixed wing. 
because they had C-12s there too, see. So they were always going to get their fixed wing, twin engine time and all that. You know, nobody wanted to fly helos. Well, I finally got a guy in there from Fallon that I knew. I did, and he said, he, he said, well, shit, that dog, let's go flying. Said, yes, sir, boss. So, so he comes, he goes, That's yeah. Exciting. He, he just flat, <laughs> we flew him, we flew him all the way up to the last day. All the way. And did confined areas and all of repelling and everything and that and the and the skipper there was uh god i can't think what his name anyway doesn't matter he he the skipper at nas was like a fixed wing guy he was like an a6 guy and it scared him to death to see us out there repelling and stuff you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, and i hit we were doing a confined area with it. ropes are out guys are yep, pulling down yep, that's it He's That's like, it, oh, your fellers away. <laughs> Come on. Oh, my goodness. So, so uh, I had I had an incident there. I hit I, we hit a tree and it popped a hole in one of the blades doing a confined area with a brand new kid. And uh, I got scolded for it by the, the by the maintenance officer. And the main I told the maintenance officer, I said, hell, I've been with H1s two tours i said i'd fix that for about 1400 bucks um, and he was like he was like how are you gonna do that i said we'll just put some glue on it so that ended up going nowhere i just you know sometimes i just don't have time you know what that's old school right there. that's what i'm talking about that's, <laughs> that's what you got you got to look at an officer from time to time and i love all my officers out there you got to sir Step aside. Let me show you how to get this done. <laughs> we took, no, we scotch welded. Scotch welded holes. And and I told the guys at Dallas. I talked. I, I used to. That's a bad thing about being on Guam. You had to come into work about four o'clock in the morning to talk to anybody because there's twelve hours difference. Right, right. So, Everybody's getting ready to go to bed or just waking yeah, up. Yeah, just like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I said to uh, I, I called my my buddy down there at. Uh, down there at Dallas, uh, damn, that the depot, and I H one depot down there, and I I told him what I gave him all the diameters and how big. And he said, "Red dog, what are you calling me for?" <laughs> he said, "Scotch weld it, sand it, and fly it." So that's what we did. So my drop. <laughs> maintenance officer going, "What? You can't do that bullshit. I can do that." <laughs> oh man but my boys you know i had a bunch of boys good good boys down there matter of fact uh two of them i i got orders to um i got orders to swim school and uh one of them was involved in the marecki case i don't know if you're familiar with that or not i am uh i i am familiar with the marecki case um Sad it Sad was day. definitely it, all the way around. Like it, it's it's too bad it happened altogether. And for those that don't know the story, Marecki is one of the Navy uh, candidates going through rescue from a school that actually he passed away during the training. Um, and it ended up shutting down the school for a while because a lot of the coasties were not able to get down to swimmer school because of that. So, but no. Yeah, yeah. that was a sad day for Navy swimmers. Yeah, but for sure. Uh, it was a bunch of us out there that saw it coming. Yeah, the way they were running it and all that. So it, it was when they shut down. That was when 
they got they squared shit away, put Jim Kelly, Master Chief Kelly in there from HS1 because he took over and he's a deck guy. He stayed on the deck. You know what I mean? Yep. On the pool deck, he was on the pool deck. And Jim Kelly was a good man. That's awesome. R.I.P. Jim. Yeah. Fair winds and following seas. Who are? So, but that was uh, the guys that were with me in Guam were really, really good guys. They were good mechanics and all that, but they had some bad leadership. So when I got out there, it was like, okay, here's what we're going to do, fellas. And they were all behind it. We're like, yeah, you know, that's what we've been wanting to do. And they won't let us. Well, those days are over. (laughs) (laughs) Red dog has arrived. Yeah, it pissed a lot of people off. A lot of people thought I was a cocky son of a bitch, but I'll tell you what, I fixed airplanes. Made it happen. Anyway, so so I went, I went, I went a year. We shut down the H1 program at Guam, sent them home. And I went up to HC5 to 46s. And then the fun began. Vert rep, you bet. Man, I was like a kid in a candy store and the skipper up there at the time, he, he wanted me, they were getting ready to have their first search and rescue evaluation. So they put me, put me in safety with the SAR. I was a SAR guy. So they didn't, they didn't want me down in maintenance because I didn't have any real background in maintenance for the 46s, you know? So I stayed up in, uh, up in, in safety and well, I checked in and the maintenance officer told me to my face, you know, you're a hot dog and I don't like you. And I said, well, you know what? I don't want to be down here anyway. I said, just put me upstairs and SAR, you know. So that's where I went. Anyhow, in the end of the discussion on that, he and I eventually became friends, but initially it was ugly. So um, I was upstairs and one of my billets was to fill the detachment. That's one of my, that was one of the things that I did. We had, at the time I checked in, we had four detachments out. Or no, we had three and we were working on fourth. And I, I told the duty office, anytime a SAR crewman comes in, you send his butt up to my office before he goes to the barracks. And I was filling debts on guys that had never been to sea or nothing. They, I'd said, you unpack? Nope. You go on to debt four. And I'd ship him down to the Apra Harbor and put him on the boat. So I had, I had filled debts, <laughs> filled debts. And then after we got them all, we got five debts out. And then I, I developed debt six and debt six was the all volunteer SEAL team delivery debt. Wow. Yeah. And it was exciting. It was really exciting. I had been on cruise. I went, I cruised, uh, I was in debt four and cruised from June of 85 to, uh, November of 85. I got back off of that debt and the skipper called me in the office. They closed the door. I thought, Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> you heard about me and that Lieutenant JG. 
uh, I, I uh, he, he laid it out what was going to happen. He, he said, here's what's going to happen. He said, I need you to volunteer to take this debt. And I thought, all right, yeah, what is it? He said, well, we're going to do SEAL team delivery. I said, I'll take it. I don't care. I don't care. I'll take it. Sweet. Whatever you're doing, I'm doing it, you know. And then he asked for a volunteer, and I had a bad actor on my debt, but he was a good air crewman, so I mentioned him, and, of course, he didn't want it. And once the skipper briefed all of it, we had 13 chiefs, air crewmen, and wow. they said, no, that's not within NATOPS, because these guys were off from AC-3 and the, and the AC, AC-11, you know. Yeah. I was a I was a out-of-the-box kind of guy, so – Shit, I'd do anything. You want me to do something with a helicopter? Let's go do it. You yeah, know? buddy. Come on. If you'll drive it, if you'll drive it, I'll get you there. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and uh so we had we had uh two guys, which was and I'm gonna say that the NATOPS for the 46 said had to have two crewmen, two pilot, a pilot and a co-pilot, and two crewmen. I'm gonna say that, but I'm not sure that's writ, but it's pretty close to right. So we were flying with one crewman and two pilots. And we were the first 46 unit in the Navy to use night vision goggles. And we were the first 46 unit to fast rope. And we were, we were, what would happen was is teams would come through Guam and go, stay with us with five for a while and we go shoot shoot guns and get familiar with the teams and do the fast roping and then we go we pack up and go to uh, Philippines and we'd work with the team down there so they did a workup on Guam and they would forward fast forward to Philippines Subic and then we'd uh, go down to Subic for a week or 10 days and do shipboard work. Wow. And all this was, all this was to, I don't know, you know, people talk about the Gulf of Hormones and all that. Yeah. I'm well, not super familiar with it myself because I've never been. I was, yeah, you should be, you should be familiar with it. I should be. Okay. Yeah. Because you're there right now. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I, that we, golf. Uh, got it. Yeah, Persian we, golf. yeah, 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 yeah. So we were, uh, <laughs> we went, uh, we were the first ones in, in the Straits of Hormones. Okay. When everybody talking about it, this is talking about 1985, 86, 86, we were there. And we practiced for a long time. What we were, what they were doing, there was a ship called the Iran Ajar, which was mining the um, Strait, Straits of Hormones. Okay. And that was access, you know, for big, for all the tankers and stuff. That's you know, just that off, uh, United Arab Emirates, so UAE. Right, right. Yeah, UAE, just off that right, coming. Right, right. So it's coming in from the ocean, whatever that ocean. I can't believe I forgot what it is. Into into the, yeah, into the Persian Gulf. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
Don't so, so yeah, it's a spit of land there, you know, but they were mining the straits and we had human intel that was when the ship was moving and all that. So we were on 24 hour call. I mean, it was it's quite an experience. I can't tell you all about it, but it was quite an experience to work with the seals. They're great guys. They really are. And they're, they ain't scared of shit. I'm telling you, they live up to their damn. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. I mean, when, we'd be, when we'd be ready to fast rope, when we'd be ready to fast rope, the testosterone in the back of the airplane was so thick you could have cut it with an axe. <laughs> them guys, them, and what what we would do is we would stand. I would stand in the door, and the first guy went out with the rope. Okay. And I and I would stand in the door until we were, and I make two calls. Uh, we'd come up behind the ship do a 70 knot side flare and when I saw the deck I'd say I got that you got the deck and I'd step out of the way and when I stepped out of the way they had 12 of them I could put 12 seals on the deck of a moving ship in 12 seconds Jesus oh my good lord wait at 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> oh damn and people, and you know, I tell them stories and these stories, and you're going to get a lot of this guy's full of shit. You'll get a lot of that. If people are watching it and they watch it, they go, no, 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 that shit didn't happen. Trust me, it happened. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and I'll tell you the follow-up to that. The follow-up to that was we trained for a year and a half to put SEALs on board that boat. And guess who got it? The Night Stalkers. You know who that is? You know who the Night Stalkers are? No, sir. The, that's the army, the army uh, combat uh, SAR guys. So it didn't even go to the Navy SEALs. It went to those. <laughs> yeah, they just had it was a it was a SAR. I mean, it was a shoot of opportunity. I talked to the guy that fired the rounds, the first rounds on the ship. Wow. And he was and he was in a loach. He was in a scooter. And no uh, yeah, it had. I talked to him a couple of times. He, he flew for a friend of mine up in up in Pennsylvania. He flew uh, babies. Uh, he's the guy you see in the video that they got the guy out the side of the helo and he's putting the balls on the on the high. Oh yeah, line. yeah, yeah, yeah. All the linemen That's, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he flew that mission. He got out of the army and flew that mission for a long time. Holy smoke! But I talked to him personally twice about what he was what he did and how they did it and they did everything just like we trained so you know we wrote the book on it and they took it up took it for action and that was quite that was an exciting it was an exciting time that I is incredible that was a good 18 months and that made me master chief by the way that oh, yeah. that was I mean, I I didn't know if the air metal was going to do it because the air metal did it for me for senior chief. But then when when I made uh, master chief, it was just the seals working with the seals because we had to qualify on all the weapons and yeah. everything. Yeah, I could light up. I, I can light. I can light you up with a forty mic mic now. Yeah, come on, let's go, master chief. <laughs> <laughs> I blew a hole. I blew a hole in the damn Subic Bay jungle down there, about forty foot around, with some fleshettes. God, it was fun. Oh. I had a good. 
I had a good what, time. Had what a an incredible, good. incredible career. Uh, then I went back to Hawaii and relaxed. Just did the maintenance. Flew 40 hours a month and did the maintenance. When I retired, I was the last non-TAC to uh, retire. And I had uh, I had six jumps that month just to do it, you know. Just to do it. Just to do it. Just because you can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So it was very, it was, a, I had a very rewarding career. I enjoyed it. I loved it. And would I do it again? No. Why not? Because I don't want to worry about nade tops and running and all that. I, I'm done with it. But I don't know how you just said that. No, you wouldn't do it all that again. Oh, the 28, <laughs> 28 years I did, I did fun. Oh, man. Yeah. But you see a lot of things on Facebook about, oh, yeah, let's go back and do it again. Are you crazy? <laughs> uh, I, did a lot, I did a lot of damn shit that I could have got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Red Dog, Dog, these stories are insane. I am loving it. Thank you. Uh, So you hit retirement and you've been living just an incredible life. You did an incredible career. You know, I got to ask, like, what advice would you give the guys that are out there now getting ready to go, getting ready to retire? I mean, you name it. Well, it's hard. It's, It's hard for me to say to give advice about it. And the reason I say that is because this is not yesterday's Navy. Right. Back in the day, you work on, you fly eight hours and get off the airplane and you had a downing gripe on it. You'd fix the airplane yourself to get it back up to fly the next flight schedule. Nowadays with the AW situation, they're not doing that. They've got, they just walk in the maintenance office and give somebody a gripe and they send the mechs out to fix it. Yeah. So it's a little bit different being a TAC and a non-TAC. And that's the difference is that we did our own maintenance. And most of the time, you know, like me, I was, a, I, was pro- I think I was probably the last AFCM to retire as a SAR, a SAR swimmer. I don't, I don't know. I know I, was, I know I was probably the last AFCM to ever been on a seaplane tender. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> But and noted that's, that's another story <laughs> but we had we had uh i mean i had a, a, a great 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 career i mean i i just i wouldn't have had it any other way but nowadays advice yeah i got advice keep your head together if you're in the airplane it's a crew operation that's all and that is incredible like advice. I just, I just, and, and, and think outside the box. A lot of times guys, we, do, we lost a pilot in the Indian Ocean. The Navy did. I, I, I want to say it was HS8. I can't remember. But in the NATOPS, it said you will not pick up a pilot with a chute deployed. Now that. That, I mean, yeah, that sounds like, okay, yeah, I understand that. Well, we'll just get the shoot off. Well, what if he can't get the shoot off? you got a swimmer down. He can't get it away. Well, if the chute's attached, you can't get a swimmer in the water to him, you can still get him out of there. 
Yeah. And and all you got to do is take up the slack with the hoist to pick him up a little bit, and then you get the swimmer down there to get his get his uh, coke fittings undone and get that shoot away from him. You know. Yeah. Well, anyway, we lost the pilot. So the NATOP says, and the reason we lost the pilot was because the NATOP says you won't pick a guy up with a shoot. And I think the swimmer couldn't get him undone or he was tangled or something. I don't know. But anyhow, neither here nor there, he died. And he died because of NATOPs, as far as my, my personal opinion. Yeah. Because of the, the way reason, it was written. It was written yeah. for the... Yeah, and 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 the individual that was running the hoist wasn't wasn't prepared to think outside the box, mm. and I think that is, if I have any advice for anybody, that's one of the things as a SAR swimmer, you have to be ready to think outside the box. If you I, don't do that, if you don't do that, somebody's going to get hurt. I really like that. Great advice, and I I I'm a true believer of that as well. So, I mean, you cannot, it, it is not, it, we, I actually say this quite a bit. It, nothing is cookie cutter when you get to it. You, you got to be able to think outside the box. You got to be able to adapt and overcome. Great evaluate, advice. Evaluate and react. That's it. Red so, dog. That's my advice. This has been insane. Awesome. I have loved every bit of it. I, I am so thankful that you came on to tell these stories and, you know, it's yeah. Shoot me a copy of the tape. You know, you know we don't do that anymore, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> send it to me in the guard mail. I, you know what? I'll make sure you get a copy of this. How's that? <laughs> Just email it to me, man. <laughs> oh, Red Dog, I love it. I will. I promise you, I will keep in touch with you. Uh, you know, when I get down to Florida, I'm giving you a call, and and I'm gonna yeah. buy you a beer for sure. And I got more if you need them. You know what I mean? Oh, come on! <laughs> some, of them, some of them aren't. Some of them aren't picture proof. <laughs> you know, some of them are, are rated a little bit uh, higher in the in the spectrum. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> like, how did how did Red Dog get his nickname? Yeah. You know? <laughs> that we're not telling today. Yeah. If you want to know, you better like blow up his social media, right? Because you know, yeah. let's go viral and make it happen. Right? Oh, Red Dog, I love it. Awesome. All right, man. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the stories. This has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you. You know that. Absolutely. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com that's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q.com you can also check us out on our web pages therealrescue.com our facebook page and our instagram page at therealrescue again a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember when that star alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle 
they are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>